Welcome to Friendship with God. Today, Tom Cantor will teach us how Noah warned others about God's future judgment to come. Just like Moses, David, Solomon, Isaiah, and Ezekiel all warned others about hell. This message is available for free download at friendshipwithgod.org. Now here's some highlights from yesterday's message. And we saw how the Spirit of God is like a garden in us. And the garden reminded us of the Garden of Eden. They starved the spirit, fed flesh, because they thought they were beautiful women. When God looked at it, he could say, Noah, he lives like he walks with God. He's a man who walks with God. Now here's Tom Cantor as we continue our expository study in Genesis. We don't drift, and Noah didn't drift into a life of walking with God. He knew that in order for this to happen, it had to be very intentional on his part. Noah intentionally decided to walk with God. And how did he walk with God? How did he intentionally walk with God? How did Noah intentionally walk with God? Well, it starts off in the beginning of the day. Noah gets up in the morning. He says to God, here I am, Lord, reporting to you today. All right, reporting for service. And Lord... Let's have today be a day when you and I walk together. Let's walk together. That's the start of his day. He goes throughout the day. Noah looks around. He encounters, we're sure, that Noah saw disturbing things, very disturbing. And so Noah turns to God, who's walking with him, and he said, God, what's your take on this? What's your comment on this? What's your view of this situation? And what do you want me to do? What do you want me to say in this situation as we walk together? And now throughout the day, good things happen to Noah, good things. So rather than just say, oh, that's nice, Noah then turns to God during his walk and he says, Lord, I want to thank you. Thank you for that. He makes the effort. He gives what he's holding, which are the thanks. And throughout the day, when opportunities come for Noah to speak to many, many needy people, he turns to God and he says to God, what should I say to help this person? There's a desperate situation here. He doesn't know. He's walking right down the middle of the road to hell. So what should I say? And God told him to preach fearlessly, which he did. That judgment was just around the corner. Tell them, Noah, tell them. Judgment is just around the corner, and it was time for them to do what you did. Tell them, Noah, you found grace in the eyes of the Lord because it was findable. Tell them to go looking for it. And then throughout Noah's day, when Noah had some time to think, kind of ponder things and be alone with his thoughts, Noah thought about the goodness of God and turned to God who was walking with him and just said, God, this is the time right now in my day when I just want to worship you. I realize all these horrible things are going on around me, but Lord, just in this little time, let's call it a sanctuary time, and I just want to worship you for your goodness, letting me find the grace of God in your eyes. And at the end of Noah's day, Noah comes to the end of his day, he puts his head down on his pillow, and he goes to sleep, and before he does, he just says, Lord, I just have one question at the end of this day, the end of every day, and that is, were you happy with me today? And he says, were you happy with our walk together today? Because, Lord, if you're happy, I'm happy. That's all I need. I'm happy. And so, good night, Lord. Let's walk again together tomorrow. That's the life. 
So you're walking together with God. That's what he did. And it didn't come naturally with Noah. He had to work at it. It was hard work for this to happen. But that's how he fed the spirit, starved the flesh. And that's how Noah intentionally walked with God. He oriented his life around a daily walk with God. That's how God wants us to intentionally live a life that's a daily walk with him. Now, there's two verses in the New Testament that give us tremendous insight into Noah's life. And turn with that, I've looked at it before, Hebrews 11, 6 and 7. It reads like this. But without faith, it is impossible to please God. Without faith. That's the way it is. For he that cometh to God must, not should, but must believe that he is. And must also believe that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. So two things have to believe. He is and he's a rewarder. By faith Noah being warned of God of things not seen as yet. He moved with fear. He prepared an ark to the saving of his house by the which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is by faith. So we learn that above all Number one, when you looked at Noah's life, you would say, now that's a man of faith. He believes things that are not seen as yet. That's a very, very important word, as yet. They will be seen. They will be seen, but not yet. So really, a man of faith is believing before you're seeing. And so that's the reason why Noah found grace. It was because Noah believed, first of all, that God existed. He says, you have to believe that he exists. He says, he that comes to God must believe that he is. So he believed that he was. And so that was the first thing that he believed existed. And, you know, God could let the world see him as he really is. He could do that. He could pull back the drapes of these clouds and skies and so forth. And everyone could see the Lord Jesus Christ with millions of powerful angels surrounding him, ready to do his will. And then you know what? There wouldn't be any unbeliever. He'd have to be out of his mind. and Everybody would believe, right? But God has chosen to keep himself concealed. He's chosen to keep himself not seen. He's chosen to give the option of maybe there is no God. Why? Because to believe in a person when others don't, that's when you really come out as as one that puts confidence in the unseen one. It's an opportunity to say when everyone walks away, I'm standing faithful to him. He's looking for those, and he describes those when he says to Thomas in John 20, 29, he said, Jesus saith unto Thomas, because thou hast seen, thou hast believed. That's like, well, you know, because you saw, you believed. Okay, everybody would do that. But then he said, blessed are they that have not seen and yet have believed. So the Lord Jesus Christ intentionally keeps himself unseen because he's looking for who's going to believe, for those who have not seen and yet have believed. This last week, National Geographic came out a couple days at the Creation Museum and was uh, learning all about the Creation Museum and interviewing and so forth. And they said, it takes faith to believe that the world was created. And I said, well, yes, it does. It also takes faith to believe in evolution. It's all about faith. Why? Because these are things not seen. We weren't there when it all took place. And that's the way God set it up. You know, you know there's no proof 
there's overwhelming evidence, but anyway. So Noah was one of those who had not seen and yet believed. That's Noah. And most people will say today, well, I believe in God. And most people say that. Well, yeah, I'm not a heathen. I believe in God. I believe in God. I'm an <laughs> maybe agnostic, but I believe in God. So that's why the second part is very important about what Noah did. It doesn't say they just believe that God is, but that he was a rewarder of them that diligently seek them. So to believe in God, that's not enough. But it's necessary to go the next step, which Noah did. What was the next step? The greatest need he had in his life was to be saved from the sins, from the judgment coming. He needed the grace of God. So he sought that grace, Titus 2.11. The grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. And he prayed, oh God, give me your grace. Give me your salvation grace. Save my sinful soul by your grace. That was the grace that Noah sought and he found in the eyes of the Lord. So he believed God would save him if he diligently sought him. That's what God's looking for today. What pleases the Lord Jesus Christ? Not just a casual acknowledgement that he exists. Oh yeah, he exists. You know, such a beautiful sky. Someone had to make it. But God's looking for those who will diligently seek him, whatever the cost, and say, Lord Jesus, I believe that you have grace for me. I believe that you have grace to save my sinful soul from hell. I believe that you said that you died for my sins and please save me from my sins. That's the diligently, that's the faith that pleases God. That's a faith that pleases God. In Noah, so in Hebrews eleven seven, it says, Noah took God's warnings seriously. You know, God warned Noah, he's going to judge the world with a worldwide flood. So what did Noah do? Did he go home and write it down someplace and make a notebook, you know, and God's going to judge the world and study it over and over again? No, when he heard that, he was afraid. He was warned. He'd never seen a flood of water before. I don't know if Noah could have imagined what we have seen. We have seen destructive floods of tsunamis and sweeping across Indonesia and so forth. We've seen that on television. He hadn't seen that. He had not seen that. But the fact that God said, look, Noah, see it or not, you have to understand, this is going to be an expression of my anger, of my wrath against sin. And that was all Noah needed to hear. He might say, I don't know what a flood of water looks like, but it's got to be bad, because God says it's the expression of my anger. And he took the warning to his heart, and he was warned of God, of things not at seen as yet. For us, we've seen a flood. We've seen the destruction. But for us, the things not seen as yet are, and in that sense, we're in the same position that Noah was in. we never seen hell. We've never seen that. All of us. Hell and sufferings in hell are things not seen as yet. We haven't seen that. We don't know. And so when it comes to hell, we're in exactly the same position that Noah was in with the flood. There are things not seen as yet. But Noah was warned about the flood, and he took us to his heart, and he was afraid. And we've been warned also about hell. Moses warned 
the Jewish people about hell. When that happened there, you remember in Achor, when it says in Numbers 16, 30-33, it says, The Lord shall make a new thing. The earth will open her mouth and swallow them up with all that are pain, uh, pertain unto them. And he said, And they go down into the pit. That's a phrase that refers to hell. They go down into the pit. Then shall he understand that these men have provoked the Lord. They and all that pertain to them, verse 33, went down alive into the pit and the earth closed upon them and they perished from among the congregation. David, king of Israel, he warned about hell. He said in Psalm 55, 15, let death seize upon them and let them go down quick into hell for the wickedness is in their dwellings and among them. Solomon, king of Israel, warned about hell. He said in Proverbs 9.18, but he knoweth not that the dead are there and that her guests are in the depths of hell. And in Proverbs 15.24, he said, the way of life is above to the wise, that he may depart from hell beneath. The prophet Ezekiel, he did a lot of warning about hell. He talked about Satan and what happened to him. And in Ezekiel 31, 16 and 17, he said, I made the heavens to shake at the sound of his fall when I cast him down to hell with them that descend into the pit. They also went down into hell. In Ezekiel 32, 21, he said, the strong among the mighty shall speak of him out of the midst of hell with them that help him. They are gone down. They lie uncircumcised slain. Ezekiel 32, 27, and they shall not lie with the mighty that are fallen of the uncircumcised, which are gone down to hell with their weapons of war. They've laid their swords under their heads, and their iniquities shall be upon their bones. Otherwise, you could just state that they died in their sins. And the prophet Isaiah, he warned about hell. In Isaiah 14, 10 through 12, speaking about Satan again, he said, they shall speak and say unto them, art thou also become weak as we? Like his entrance into hell, art thou become like unto us? Thy pomp has brought thee down to the grave, and the noise of thy vials. The worm is spread under thee, and worms cover thee. The Lord Jesus Christ spoke of the worm that dieth not. How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground? Isaiah fourteen fifteen. Yet thou shalt be brought down to hell to the sides of the pit. Isaiah 38, 18, the grave cannot praise thee, death cannot celebrate thee, they that go down into the pit cannot hope for thy truth. And Daniel warned in hell in Daniel 12, 2, when he said, and many of them that sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. Tom, today you talked about what people cannot do in hell. So if they can't do some things, what can people do in hell? Right. And the verse that we talked about from Isaiah 38, 18, specifically used the word cannot three times in that verse. It said, for the grave cannot praise thee. Death cannot celebrate thee. They that go down into the pit cannot hope for thy truth. So this is really giving us a list of what people cannot do in hell. Number one, they cannot praise God. They cannot thank God. They cannot 
talk of all his wondrous works. They have lost the opportunity to magnify the Lord and speak of his wonderful greatness. It says that in death they cannot celebrate thee. They have lost their opportunity to celebrate the goodness of God, to celebrate the grace of God, to celebrate his salvation. You know, some people say, well, I'll come and I'll I'll receive the Lord Jesus Christ when I'm older. You know, we're one breath away from losing that opportunity. Just one breath away, one car accident, one stroke, one heart attack, one whatever. Just today, uh, a sad thing happened at work in that... um, there was an accident, and, and, and uh, one of our people, he wasn't killed, but he could have been as a large uh, uh, gate fell. But he wasn't. Thank God for that. But we're just one, one accident away to not being able to do these things, to celebrate God. In other words, to celebrate the true meaning of Christmas, uh, that joy to the world, the Lord has come. That's a celebration of God. They that go down to the pit cannot hope for truth. The great heart cry of the Jewish hope, the Jewish people, the homeland of the Jewish people, the land of Israel, the heart cry is expressed in their national anthem, Hatikva, the hope. And the Jewish people have this hope. They have this hope and this a hope that their enemies will def- be defeated. This hope that the book of Esther will be repeated and that they'll no longer be running from country to country country being persecuted by their enemies. They have a hope for the truth of God. They have a hope. Well, when they go down into the pit, when anybody goes down into the pit, that has stopped. The opportunity has discontinued. They cannot hope for the truth of God. They cannot praise God. They cannot see the goodness of God. They cannot celebrate God. They cannot, as it says, hope for the truth. Now, That's, as we said, what people cannot do in hell. But what can people do in hell? There's a wonderful verse in Psalm 51.7 when David, after his terrible sin of having committed adultery with another man's wife, with the wife of Uriah, the wife of Uriah, the Bathsheba, he commits adultery with her, then he murders, has Uriah murdered. And he's so full of his sin, but yet he comes to God and he finds the grace of God. He finds finds the forgiveness of God. He finds the cleansing of God. And he says in the, in the psalm of his repentance, in Psalm 51, and there is in this psalm this wonderful verse of verse 7 where he says, Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. He felt so horrible, so filthy, so dirty, murder, adultery, so defiled from the very core of him. And yet he realized if God would purge him, and he said with hyssop, then he would be clean. And if God would wash him, then he would be whiter than snow. And the key to understanding how God would purge him, how God would wash him, how David would become whiter than snow is that one word, hyssop. 
He said, purge me with hyssop. The minute that David said hyssop, it brought back to mind as he knew exactly what he was saying. And as he communicates to us today, we know exactly what he was saying. He was referring to the Passover sacrifice of Exodus 12, 22, where it says, Moses told the people of Israel, he said, you shall take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood that is in the basin. What blood was that? That was the blood of the sacrificial lamb, the Passover lamb. And God said, you'll kill the lamb, you'll collect the blood in the basin. And this was his instructions on what they were to do with the blood. He said, you'll take a bunch of hyssop, you'll dip it in the blood that is in the basin, and you'll strike the lintel the, over the door, and the two side posts. The word for side post is mezuzah. So the two side posts be the mezuzot, in other words, the two uh, side posts. And the side post with the blood that is in the basin, and none of you shall go out of the door of the house until the morning, because God had said, when I see the blood, I will pass over, I will Pesach over you, I will skip you. So he realized when David was saying, purge me with hyssop, he was speaking of the hyssop that went into the blood, the basin with the blood, and it was taken and it was struck on the lintel over the door, and it was struck on the right side post, and it was struck on the left side post. And as he did that, you know, you can imagine the mess of it all. I mean, there was the blood and it was splattered on this top and on the two sides and the blood is dripping and it's quite a dramatic, it's a very dramatic scene. I mean, this is the lamb that they loved. This is the lamb that they watched for three days. This is the lamb that they didn't call the veterinarian to come and put to sleep, but this was the lamb the father cut the throat, the screaming, the everything. Anyway, there was the sacrificial life of the animal that was given so that the blood which speaks of the life of the animal could be used as it says in Leviticus 17. He gave it to us. God gave the blood upon the altar. It's the blood that makes an atonement for sin. And so what David was talking about is he said, purge me by the sacrifice. Now, we know that David looked forward with all of God's saints in that time period to the Lamb of God in John one twenty nine that John the Baptist spoke of when he said, Behold, the Lamb of God, which takes away the sin of the world. And with those words, John the Baptist was in essence sort of bringing down the curtain on the time period before of all those lambs which were slain on Jewish altars slain, and he was saying, and now the once for all Lamb of God in the Lord Jesus Christ has come, and this Lamb of God will die as he did on a cross, and his blood will take away all the sin of the world. And so this is what David's referring to when he says, purge me with hyssop, and our mind goes back to the Passover, and it goes back to the Passover lamb, and then we go and progress on to the Lamb of God that John the Baptist spoke of, who the Lord Jesus Christ, who takes away the sin of the world. And he said, and I shall be clean. So what he's saying here is that in hell, what people can do is they can know that they didn't take God's sacrifice 
to purge them from their sin. So they're not clean. They're not whiter than snow. They have this continual consciousness, and that's the word, consciousness. They're conscious of the fact that they didn't receive the Lord Jesus Christ. They're conscious of the fact that they still have the sin that they could have been purged from if David who committed murder and adultery, was purged from sin. Every single person in hell realized that, oh, if I only would take an advantage of what God offered me, take the, and been purged with the hyssop, in other words, and purged with the Passover lamb, the Lord Jesus Christ, I would be clean. I would be whiter than snow. But you see what it says in Hebrews 9, 14, it says, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? See, in hell, people are conscious of their sins because their conscience is still alive and it's constantly bringing back to their memory all oh, the sins that they committed and what it didn't that didn't have to be it's all there but see when david said purge with hyssop and then the hebrews 9:14 says that god god will purge our conscience from dead works to serve the living god he runs through he cleanses it out he filters all the sin out all everything. And instead of remembering our sin, we remember the blood of Christ, the blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God. Praise God that in heaven, our conscience are purified and purged. Thank you for joining us today. Now we'd like to encourage you to visit our website, friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. We've added some new features to our website where you can sign up for a Tom Cantor daily devotional verse that will come straight to your phone or your email. Now, you can also sign up to receive the Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries newsletter where you'll hear about our upcoming Summer Blitz campaign to reach over one million lost Jewish people this summer in Jewish cities around the United States by going door-to-door and delivering Tom Cantor materials. Now, if you have a lost Jewish friend, you can always contact us and get a free gift from Tom Cantor of his life story on DVD and in a book. So please call us today, 1-800-247-3051, 1-800-247-3051. Now, that free gift is for lost Jewish people, but if you want some of Tom Cantor's materials, they are available on our online store at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Or again, you can call us today, 1-800-247-3051. That's 1-800-247-3051. Thanks for listening, and join us again tomorrow.